This is The Irrelevant, a podcast about finding the deeper meaning of seemingly useless information. I'm Rodrigo Nunez, and today's episode is The Football Team Braceros Built. Try as I might, I haven't fully managed to quit following American football. Truthfully, it's hard to avoid. It's just so massive, and it engulfs almost every aspect of American culture, from the political discourse, sadly, to the latest TikTok trends. You'll find it all in a Sunday NFL game. Recently, though, I've been less interested in the on-field product of the NFL and more in the off-field stuff. I'm talking about the structures of the teams, the way they're run, the histories of the teams, and perhaps more fascinating, the owners. Who are these people? These uber-wealthy people who hold cities hostage for tax breaks and ridiculous stadiums, who laugh Donald Trump out of the room when he wants to join them? Who are they, and where did they get so much money from? And I thought, maybe I'd do a bit of a series on them. If not, just on at least one, because the story of how this family got money hits a little close to home. So today, we're going to talk about the family that owns the Los Angeles, but really should be San Diego, Chargers. Here's the thing about the Chargers. They have the best uniforms in the league. Easy. The powder blues especially. But I'm going to stop talking about them as a football team because I want to make this interesting for non-sports fans and I don't want to lose anyone that doesn't really care about football. Because this episode isn't necessarily about football. It's a story about wealth, about exploitation, and about the American dream. This is the story of the Spanos family, the owners of the Los Angeles Chargers. So the Spanos are worth something around $2.4 billion. The patriarch and originator of the wealth is Alex Spanos, who passed away on October of 2018, but was a real estate developer primarily focused in building multifamily residences and communities, apartments. And he was considered to be one of the biggest apartment developers in the United States of America. Now, Alex Spanos bought a 60% share of the team of the San Diego Chargers in 1984 for $48.3 million and over the next decade acquired more and more shares until he owned 97% of all shares. At that time, Alex named his son Dean team president and CEO, a position that he remains in to this day. There's Spanos all over the team front office though, not just Dean, but Dean is the big boss now. I know what you're thinking because I'm thinking the same thing too. So Alex Spanos is worth $2.4 billion and he bought the team in the 80s and let his kids handle it. Typical ultra rich guy stuff, right? But where did he get those $48 million to begin with, right? So we're going to go into that because this is where the story gets, I guess, good. Alex Spanos wrote an autobiography which he entitled Sharing the Wealth, My Story in which he tells just that, his story of how he became a billionaire, and according to him, it began in 1951, when finding himself jobless with two kids and a wife at home, decided to start a catering business with an $800 loan from a bank in his hometown of Stockton, California. Why a catering business? Well, that was because of the demand provided by a large influx of migrant farm workers from Mexico as part of a guest worker program set up between the governments of Mexico and the United States. This was also known as the Bracero Program. 
The Bracero program was a pretty big deal and provided the U.S. with roughly 5 million workers between the years of 1942 and 1964. These workers picked the food that the baby boomers ate all across the country, then were sent back home to Mexico when the season was done. So, Spanos' idea was to start a catering business to feed the farm workers. He took his 800 bucks and bought a truck, a slicing machine, a meat cleaver, bread, and bologna, which was the cheapest meat he could find. Spanos wouldn't sell the sandwiches directly to the workers, though he'd sell them to the farmers who would deduct payment for the sandwiches from the workers' salary, which sucks, and I'll get into why later. But by September of 1951, which is a month later, Spanos was not just feeding braceros, he was also brokering workers himself. He helped bring 350 braceros to his hometown of Stockton, found housing for them in what had been a vegetable exhibition of the county fair, and of course, he got the contract to provide food for the workers he brought over. He provided three meals a day for them. And the meals he'd give the workers three times a day, boiled beans and bologna. He charged $175 a day per worker. But in his book, Spanos would go on to say that these meals would cost him $0.75 cents a day to make, so he'd pocket $1 profit per man per day. So let's pause right there, because how does that feel? If it feels fishy to you, it's because it is. So here's the thing about that price that Spanos was charging. $1.75 doesn't sound like a lot, right? But like I said earlier, braceros weren't illegal workers. They had rights. It was, in fact, an agreement between nations. As part of the agreement, the braceros had a standard work contract, and that work contract stated that farmers could not charge more than $1.75 a day for meals, but it said that meals should be provided to braceros at cost. Spanos didn't adhere to that. Instead, he took the maximum allowed to be the standard price for a day's meal. And he was proud of the fact that the meals didn't cost that much to make. He was proud that he was price gouging the braceros and that his wealth started off that way. The gouging was especially egregious when you realize that braceros didn't have a choice on where else to eat and in some cases weren't allowed to cook their own meals. And boy, did Spanos gouge. By the end of that first year, or five months later to be exact, because he started his business in August, he had $35,000 in the bank, which is roughly about $300,000 in today's money. $300,000 profit all from feeding bologna and boiled beans to migrant workers, price gouging them in the process and feeding them downright unsuitable food for the type of labor they were doing. Now, the next year in 1952, Spanos improved his operations a little bit. He moved the workers he brokered from housing them in a county fair building to an old army barracks, and he bought a tortilla machine because workers weren't used to eating that much white bread, and he actually hired some Mexican cooks. But he still kept taking his maximum allowable price of $175 as the standard price and was not charging at cost for the meals that he provided. And five years later, he was the largest caterer to braceros in the country, profiting yearly, in his own words, almost $700,000, which is about $6 million today. By this time, Spanos took the rich guy move of trying to find a way to not pay taxes. So he called up his accountant who recommended he find some real estate investments and take advantage of tax shelters. And he did. 
Spanos moved from the catering business to the property building business and by 1977 was the largest apartment builder in the United States. But that initial money was all born of the exploitation of Bracero workers. He says it in his own words. He's proud of it. Now, I'm almost positive that Spanos wasn't the only one that did so. There was up to 400,000 braceros in the U.S. in the mid-50s working the fields all over America. So there were a bunch of Spanos-like individuals exploiting them. Now, you may think exploit is a bit of an exaggeration, but if boiled beans and bologna three times a day while you work the fields doesn't sound like exploitation to you, maybe this will. According to an article on The Voice of San Diego, Quote, Henry P. Anderson, then a Berkeley graduate student, did field research among the Bracero camps for a 1961 report and paid particular attention to the price. Anderson compared what Braceros were getting to what other mess halls were serving. At a prison in Chino in 1959, inmates were fed a diverse menu with many options. The meal cost 68 cents to prepare and were, in Anderson's judgment, superior to lower quality meals that Braceros paid $1.75 a day for. He visited one Bracero camp that didn't serve coffee or milk. The prison served both. He visited another Bracero camp that ran out of meat, then tortillas, and then beans, so that several men in the back of the lunch line were left to eat just chopped cabbage and chili sauce. End quote. Again, so this is reports across various camps and not just the Spanos ones, but few other Bracero linked people gain as much fame or wealth as the Spanos did. And again, the words come from his own autobiography. He started catering, feeding Braceros, price gouging them, and underfeeding them, exploiting a working class. Then he moved on to construction, then finally to buying the teams that his child runs now. And that's what I ultimately want to talk about. There's this myth in America that if you work hard, if you're up at the crack of dawn and don't stop until you collapse of exhaustion, that eventually you can earn enough money so that your kid can run an NFL franchise. But there's one thing that that notion ignores, which is, yeah, that can happen if you find a way to exploit a whole class of people. The Chargers simply don't belong to the Spanos if Alex Spanos doesn't treat that maximum allowable price as a standard price, thus violating the law. There is no foundational wealth without a violation of the law and an exploitation of a people who were, in fact, working from sun up to sundown to feed their families. The American dream exists for people like the Spanos because it consists of the crushed American dreams of hundreds of thousands of others in the process. And most every NFL ownership group has stories like this. At face value, you look at the NFL ownership group and see them as an ideal, the American dream personified. But if you look just under the surface, you see the American dream for what it is. Nothing more than an abuse for the sake of profit. The Spanos and all the NFL owners continue to profit off the exploitation of the young men that work for them because sure, you can say, well, they earn way more than anyone should for playing a game. Just like you could say, well, Spanos fed and housed the farm workers adequately enough. But the price gouging is still there and the uneven distribution is still there. And there's only one side that's breaking their body for work while the other side profits comfortably. And that's why the Chargers should change their name to the Braceros. Because if not for them, that team wouldn't exist as it does now. And because unless they go back to San Diego, 
They need an identity change really quick because that team is languishing. So that was the first episode of the year. Um, let me know what you thought about it. Let me know if you'd like to hear more stories like this. Let me know if I should make a deep, a deep dive on all the NFL owners because there's a lot of interesting stories there. So, um, yeah, I hope you learned something. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, hopefully you stick around. Share this episode with a friend if you liked it. Um, thank you very much. And as always, OR4 did nothing wrong and don't print anything out. This is the Irrelevant Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.